Thank you all so very, very much. Glad to see you here. Um, I've got a good buddy here that's going to help us on our Bible reading. We can get that. Uh, there we go. Are we getting the ring out of that thing? All right. Silas, read for us out of John, please. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much, Silas. Appreciate that. You know... uh, the Word of God is powerful. This book was written, as that verse tells us, to specifically prove that Jesus is who he claims to be. And by, by doing so, people would believe in him and find salvation. So, And that's what the book of John is all about, is, is recognizing who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, before I get into the, that book, uh, I want to I thank our staff so much for all their hard work. I mean, this... The, the last little bit, it's been crazy. Uh, a week ago Saturday, the power went out of the entire building at 9 o'clock in the morning when we're preparing for a funeral in here. So the staff was great. We go back out to the foyer. We set up a bunch of chairs, and we do the funeral out there where the daylight's coming in the windows. It worked fine. Then later on that day, they had a shower here at the, uh, at the building. They kind of had to uh, rearrange some stuff there. And uh, then turn around this week, we have, of course, stuff going on on, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, re-engaged. Friday at CR, I was here at CR Friday night. It was packed over there. A lot of great things happening and reaching our community and helping people walk this journey with the Lord. Uh, and, of course, we have Saturday night CR across the way at university. Uh, there's just a ton of stuff happening. And I sat around and I was looking at our staff. And I just want to tell you guys... Thank you, David, you guys, Kim, thank y'all so very, very much. Yes, they do so very, very much. Well, we, we said the book is about uh, recognizing who Jesus is. Sometimes you can recognize people, sometimes you can't. Uh, I wanted you to take a look at this first picture and see if you can recognize who this is. How many know who this is? Okay, three of you. Well, this is a picture of uh, the guy that uh, unofficially got reinstated last week, Alan Robertson. I wish you could see a close-up on a computer because he has a little vest on. (laughs) And there's some gray matter on his leg, but we won't go into that. Now, here's another uh, another, uh, uh, picture. Let's see if you recognize this guy. Anybody recognize this guy? No, it is not his son. But boy, does it look like his son. The Cubs cap kind of gave it away. Some people are a little easier to recognize no matter what stage of life they're in, right? And Ryan, you're just that guy, you know. Uh, and your kids cannot ever claim. I, he, he, my dad, they'll never be able to say that. I promise you they won't. So recognizing can be important. And we're going to talk about in John chapter 1, this recognition or lack of recognition of Jesus. And I want to just read this section of scripture. So open your Bibles or turn on your phones or call somebody for a lifeline. I don't know. Do something there to get into the text. And let's do just a little bit of reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was uh, sent from God. His name was John. He, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though uh, and through though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, in the first part of this section, now kicked us off in the book of John. These first four verses here, you find this, this idea of this one, Jesus Christ, we find out right, the Word, the Logos, became flesh. This Word was God, He was with God, and He was part of all creating things. And so it describes who he is. In the next few verses, you've got the testimony or witness of John the Baptist. It says, that's him. He's the light. He's the light. Later on, he's going to, he's, he's shouting, he's the Lamb of God. And he recognizes him and he knew he, he, knew he was going to prophesy about him. He was looking to, to reveal him to men. And so, to the audience that he's writing to, the Jews and the Greeks, when he says, in the beginning was the Word... There was no surprise to him. You know, we think about the Christmas story, about the birth of Christ and, and born in Nazareth and all that time. They, they didn't have that image in their mind when they talked about the birth of Christ or becoming flesh. But when they had the word, word, logos, to the Greeks, it was the source and power of everything that existed. To the Jew, when they heard the word, word, they always thought about the action of God. For example, in the Psalms where he says that by his word... The heavens were made. To the Jew, it was always action. When God spoke, action took place. So when he comes and John writes this, trying to convert Jews and Greeks, he uses this and says, That word, you're from it, it it was God, is God, has been God from the beginning. You see, Jesus' life did not start at his birth, it has no start. He's always I am. He's God. He didn't start something at his birth. It had already been planned before the creation of the world. And when he came in to flesh, he became man, God-man. People had a difficult time recognizing him. Look in verse 10. What he says. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him some versions will say the world did not 
know him. The word know there is idea of a relationship. But the idea behind, also behind recognition or knowing is the fact that, you know, for example, if we had a, uh, if we had a ceremony here and we say, you know what, we're going, we want to recognize old John Perky for the great stuff he's doing in worship. And by the way, you are doing great stuff in worship to all you guys. If we want to recognize him, we, we might bring him up front and acknowledge that and tell about him and say what's been done. We want to honor that. They, the world didn't do that. Even though they could tell God existed, even through the creation, they didn't do that. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness and the men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, Divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles." The created God was, the creation of God proclaims who God is. And Jesus is, is that creation. He was there. He's with God. He's making everything. And so he came into the world and even though he had made the world, they didn't recognize him. They didn't honor him when they could have been honoring God simply from the very fact that they could look at creation and say, there's a God. And we refuse to put him on the throne. Matter of fact, they decided to worship other things. The created things. The old prophet puts it this way. They take a tree, they cut it down, they build an altar out of wood, or an idol out of wood, and then they bow down to it and pray to it. And yet, when they get ready to run from their enemies, they have to pick up their God and carry it and take it with them. Now, how silly does that look? But that's where men get... When they worship created things instead of the creator of the universe. Unrecognized creator. But look here in verse 11, what else you have? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The unaccepted Messiah. In Luke chapter 20. There's a story here in verse 9 through 16. Listen to this. Jesus went on to tell the people a parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty hand. He sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him 
and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And when the owner of the vineyard, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and he will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to the others. And when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. And Jesus looked directly at him and said, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Is that not what God did through his son? He sent him to this world. Should have been recognized, should have been known. And they rejected him and they refused to accept him. Even though he came to save them from their sins. Now, you've probably, you may have been in situations where you've been rejected and you know the feeling of that. Or what's worse for a parent, maybe you've seen your kid be in situations where they were rejected and how it hurt your heart. Can you imagine the heart of God who loved the folks so much, sent his son to die for them, his child, and this is how his own people, his own people, reacted to the sending of Jesus. What did that do to the heart of God? To be totally rejected. Well, look at the next verse. Because there were some that, that did accept in this undeniable Savior. Look in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name... He gave the right or the power or authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now look what he says here. These people who did believe in his name, it's not just an information thing. It's not saying, okay, I recognize this in the Bible. Jesus is who he claims to be. I intellectually accept who he is. It's not about that. It's about that I'm going to trust in him. He says he gave them the power or the right to become children of God. You and I do not have the power to make ourselves children of God. And we can't claim that we're children of God by any other reason. But look, that's exactly what the Jewish did, the Jews did by always claiming their heritage by blood, always tracing themselves back to Abraham the father, right? So that's why he says, look, and that's why he says, children born not of natural descent. It doesn't matter who you're kin to. You're not in the kingdom of God by your blood. You're only in the kingdom of God by his blood. But boy, the Jewish people had a difficult time with that. You know, we all get a little bit of pride in our lives, don't we, about who we're kin to? You know, uh... Susan's been into genealogy for a while, and so we, every time we take a trip, it's not a success if we hadn't visited a graveyard and a courthouse, you know, doing research and taking pictures. And, 
And there you find out some neat things about your heritage. And uh, I, she, she tried to do a little bit of geology on my side, but you can't get past between two creeks in Arkansas. I mean, my people don't go back farther than that. But it's kind of neat because she's discovered you know, that she was kin to was a big preacher in the Restoration Movement and, and some other people that had fought in different wars and, and, the, and some of the folks that were heroes and did the things they did. And it's kind of neat. You're kin to somebody like that, right? I mean, for the life of me, I don't know why these royal people want to say, hey, I don't want to be a part of the royal family anymore, right? You got that? I mean, why would you do that? All, all the money you want, all the life. I mean, why? I don't know. I don't get it. I'm kind of like that guy that said uh, on the money thing, he said, you know, I've had a lot of money at times and I've had no money at times and all, all things equal, I'd rather have it, right? Are you that way? But you know what? It's not by our kinship on the physical side that we have anything worthwhile. He says, you're children of God. Only because... Jesus gave you the right to become children of God. He empowered you to be able to do that through who he was. It's his power. It's also his presence because look in the next verse. He says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word for dwelling is the word for tabernacle or tent. He tabernacled among his people. Now, let me tell you something. When you said the word tabernacle, every Jew's ears perked up and they knew the tabernacle represented the presence of God. He's dwelling with us. Not only did it represent the presence of God, but just think about the presence of God, how he guided them all all through the desert, how he guided them all those years. The presence of God was with them. And the presence of God came to the earth through Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he was with the disciples. And when he left, he let the Holy Spirit indwell us. And the presence of God is still with us on our journey every day. And I need him with me. Amen. I need him with me. The presence of God is something we need to acknowledge and be conscious of. Because, because it starts with God desiring not only to save us, but to guide us and live inside of us and take us down the journey He wants us to be. And you know what? That all ends up meaning that we start acting and being like Jesus. Because Christianity in its simplest form is you and me becoming more like Christ. But not only that, look what the practice was of Jesus. Let me read these next few verses. Starting in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of, say it with me, grace and truth. Say it again. Grace and truth. And John testified concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. John said, I'm telling you about a guy who's coming, but He's already been here way before me. He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness, look here, the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. This is kind of written in the original language like grace upon grace. Kind of like the phrase holy of holies. This is the grace of grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. He says his practice, Jesus' practice with people, was grace and truth in action. Now think about this for a minute. Bear with me. Those religious leaders drag up a woman. She's caught in adultery. There's an early morning Bible study going on. They throw her in the middle of it and say, Jesus, see, we call her. The law says stoner. What do you say we do? Now, they're trying to trick Jesus, right? I get that. But think about this for a minute. They had no concern for her. They had no concern for her being lost. They had no concern about changing her life. They had no concern about her shame or her guilt. She's just laid open out there in front of all these people. And Jesus takes action with grace and truth. And the truth of the matter is everybody's sin. I'll tell you why. Anybody doesn't have any, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And then those guys just started dropping them. Thud, 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 one after another. And they left. And to the woman he said, where are your accusers? I tell you what, leave that life of sin. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth in action. So he gets to the woman at the well. And he talks with her, which was very unusual for a rabbi to be talking to a Samaritan woman anyway. And he says, I can tell you where you can get some water and you'll never thirst again. And boy, she starts to talk with this guy and wonders about how, how, how he knows what he knows. He said, matter of fact, said, go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. No, you don't. Matter of fact, you've been married several times. You made several commitments, didn't keep them. And the guy you got now, you didn't even make a commitment to. And then he tells her who he is and how she can have this water that she'll never thirst again. He can satisfy her soul. Living water. And he changes her life with a message of grace and truth. You see, my problem is I grew up in a context of people who shouted truth and whispered grace. And now there's a tendency all over the evangelical world to shout grace and whisper truth. Becoming a Christian, following Jesus Christ, means both those things, because they're the fullness of Him, have to exist in our life. And Christianity is exclusive. It excludes people who do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And there's a truth to that. And our heart for people outside Jesus and we want to love you. We want you to find the same grace we found because we were all outside Christ, right? Ain't anybody better than anybody else here. We want you to find that. But you can't find it anywhere but Jesus. So there cannot be this teaching that all roads lead to heaven. Whatever religious group uh, uh, you're involved in, it's okay as long as you try to do the right thing. No. It's only because Jesus gave us the right to become children. 
We don't give other people the right to get to heaven. We don't take it ourselves. The grace of God and the truth of who Jesus is is what gets us in the family of God and guides us. This practice of grace and truth can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Now, the reason all, both those things have to always be in our heart and mind is because every time I'm sharing the, the truth of the gospel, <coughs> excuse me, every time I'm sharing the truth of the gospel with someone and it convicts them, you know what? It convicts me too. It just reminds me of the grace. I can never share this out of, I've got the answers, I'm better than you, follow me and I'll show you what to do. No, it can't be that. It's always got to be out of a heart that understands we're only saved by grace and truth. But it's so good, I've got to tell you about it. There's so much good in becoming a child of God that all your sins are forgiven. As Romans says, look, he'll never... He'll never count them against you, Romans 5. You are blessed because of that. That's the man who's really blessed is the one who's, who he says understands that God will never count his sins against him. Blessed is that man. I'm blessed by grace. I'm not blessed because I've done anything. I'm blessed because of the grace of God. And the truth of who Jesus is is, is what saves me. And I want to share that with other people. You know how you know your church is doing good? It's when you're walking around in normal conversation, you hear somebody else tell somebody, oh, man, I met this guy and I'm excited. We got it. You know, he, uh, we're going to have a Bible study. And I'm excited about this. I think, I think he's ready. I mean, we've been talking a while now. You know, when you start hearing those kind of conversations in your church, you're on the right track, right? I was talking with a young man the other day. He, 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 he had uh, brought some folks, you know, to, uh, uh, to, to share with. And he had a meal with him. And we're talking. And he's excited about the fact that, hey, they're getting close to the kingdom. That kind of conversation. When you and I get spiritually mature that that's our attitude and that's the kind of language we're using, you'll know we're out of ourselves. Now, if you're all, if you're, if the major part of your conversation is talking about what you, your preference or what you like during or during assembly, you're probably not out of yourself enough. And I say that to me too. It ain't about me. Matter of fact, it's carved on the back of our pulpit where it was moved. There's a, there's a thing called, carved on the back. It's not about me. It can't ever be about me. Because I, I am wretched and I'm a sinner. And I keep, I keep struggling with it. So it can't be about me. It's got to be always about Jesus. And people need Jesus more than they need the next breath of fresh air. God's presence is with you. His power will be with you through the gospel. You take some action on practicing grace and truth toward your neighbors and toward people you meet. Invite them to hear about this man named Jesus. Invite them to a Bible study. Simply ask them to come and be with you. Ask them what you can pray for them about. Get those kind of conversations going. And we'll be on the target with how John was. Because remember this book was written for what reason? Silas read to us. 
It was written that people might understand who Jesus is and by believing might become saved. That's why it was written. That's why we tell the story. One time we were studying with a guy. I was in Oklahoma on a door knocking deal. We were sitting inside a guy's house and sharing the gospel. And the associate minister was with me. And I didn't know it. He really had never evangelized much. We share the gospel with somebody. that uh, I'm thinking the, the woman's going to respond. It's a couple. The guy breaks down in tears. He said, I've got to get right. And so when we go down, we ended up converting the, both couples. And after the study, we go back. And the guy that was with me on the study, he's crying. I said, what happened? He said, I've never heard that before. And I thought, you've never heard this before. Well, I mean, he had heard things about Jesus. He had information. But the difference was now he was experiencing transformation. He saw it in those people. And they started to see it in his own life. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most exciting things to know that somehow or another in all my mess-ups and all my sins, all my verbal blunders, all my lack of knowing wherever verse is, that I can sit down and open the Bible up. And somehow or another, God, I get to be a part of God taking action on somebody's heart. That's exciting. That's exciting. And that's what God desires to do through you. This church has done, has done, and is continuing to do. To reach people with the good news of Jesus. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the day. We're thankful for your word. May we never neglect it. May we believe in it with all of our hearts. Father, that it's powerful. It cuts us. Father, we're thankful for the spirit that dwells in us. Father, for the story of your son who became flesh. We are grateful, Father, for the power of that truth. And Father, that you have chosen through the gospel to touch men's hearts. To give us the opportunity to be children of yours, not born for any other reason, but because of the good news of Jesus. So I pray, Father, for anybody sitting in this room, that they have not been born again, that they'll respond to your message and be baptized into Christ. Father, I pray for those of us that have gotten off track from time to time, that you'd re-prick our hearts, help us once again to have that desire to see people come to Christ. And that we'll be used as your servants and however you choose to use us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and with the help of the Spirit. And God's church said, Amen. Amen. If you have a need, you can come while we stand and while we sing this song.